Mets Chat is brought to you by Walters. While the national season may be winding down, fall sports are just around the corner. Are you looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft with over 30 TVs, free Wi-Fi, and buckets of wings and beers? There's no better place to host your draft party than Walters. With plenty of room indoors or outside on the covered patio, contact Brett at waltersdc.com to reserve your space today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 3-2 pitch. Adams launches one to left, down the line toward the corner. This has got a chance, and it is gone! Riley Adams is homer against the Toronto Blue Jays, his second homer in a Nats uniform. They lead it 8-1. So Riley Adams, against the team that drafted him and traded him away, has a single, and now his second home run in a Nationals uniform. What a night so far for Riley Adams. And the pitch to Kirk swung on and hit hard up the middle, a base hit into center field. Scoring from third is Espinal, a pinch hit single. For Alejandro Kirk, he drives in his 13th run of the year. The Nationals' lead is trimmed to two. It's Washington 8, Toronto 6. So now Dolis to the belt of the pitch. Swing and a line drive to right. Will that be fair? Yes, it is. Down and all the way to the right field corner. Thomas has scored. Rounding third, heading home is Keeboom. The throw to the plate, the head first dive. He is safe. Two-run score on a double down the right field line for Riley Adams. The former Blue Jay with his third hit of the game. A single, a homer, a two-run double. He's driven in three, and he's given the Nationals a cushion here in the bottom of the eighth inning. Three runs home. It's now Washington 11 and Toronto 6. Welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, August 18th, 2021, along with Nationals Insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, for the first time since Saturday night, August 7th, which feels like about 10 years ago, the Nationals have won a game. The seven-game losing streak is over. Nationals over the Toronto Blue Jays at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. A 12-6 final in Game 1 of a two-game series. It was a wild game. It wasn't necessarily an easy game, but it was a game in which the Nationals' offense erupted. It was a game in which multiple young Nationals, including a former Blue Jays prospect, delivered. And speaking of that guy, he also was huge the last time the Nats won, that 3-2 win over the Atlanta Braves back on August the 6th. Riley Adams, Mark, who knew? He's the key to the Nationals winning down the stretch this season. He was the missing link, Al. 
Although I have one more for you. Potential reason for this, of what happened here on Tuesday night, Teddy Roosevelt won the president's race for the first time this year. They had a little bit of a old, you know, Teddy can never win thing going on. And I don't know who decided to change that up for this game, but he won and they won big. And maybe this is the turning point. It all starts on this night with Teddy Roosevelt getting the win in the race. Hey, stay in the fight, baby, whatever it takes, you know. And Teddy, of course, the real Teddy, had one of the great sayings of all time, speak softly, carry a big stick. Riley Adams brought the big stick in this game as the Nationals get to 51 and 68 on the season. We have a lot of ground to cover on this installment of the Nats Chat podcast, including Joe Ross news that came out uh, during the day on Tuesday. But you know what? We don't know how many more times we're going to be able to have a show like this. So let's go ahead and feast on a Nationals victory on Tuesday night. So yeah, I mean, Riley Adams is certainly not the top catching prospect for the Nationals right now. That honor is reserved for Cabert Ruiz. But Riley Adams, in minimal playing time here, is doing a nice job. I mentioned the role that he played the last time the Nats won. 3-2 win at the Braves. He, in that game, had that huge two-run homer coming through with a two-out first pitch. Go-ahead two-run shot to the upper deck in left field in Atlanta off the Braves closer Will Smith in the top of the ninth for a 3-2 Nats lead. He's out there on Tuesday night as the national starting catcher and number eight batter. He is, of course, a former Blue Jays prospect. The Nats got him in the Brad Hand trade. And Adams had three big hits in this game. Leadoff single to right center and what ended up being a national six-run third, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. A leadoff full count homer to left field in the bottom of the fourth for an 8-1 Nats lead. And then a big two-out, two-run double in that key Nats four-run eighth despite having been down in that count at 1.12. So look, I mean, we can't go nuts with this. We know that Cabert Ruiz is the guy moving forward at catcher whenever he gets called up. But we've talked about how there is kind of an interesting little battle here for number two, right, between Adams and Tres Pereira. And uh, Adams is doing quite well for himself so far. He is. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to read too much into this yet. If you ask me today who is ahead of who on the depth chart, I might say that Riley Adams has jumped ahead of Trace Pereira. I think Trace got off to that really strong start there for a while, uh, even before the trade deadline when Gomes and Avila were injured. He got pressed in the service and said, oh, hang on a second. This guy looks like might be a big leaguer. And he's kind of tailed off since then. Might be getting exposed a little bit. Let's remember, been nice to see this, but this isn't someone who has consistently ranked high on their prospect lists or anything like that, as opposed to Adams, who I think is thought of a little more highly. Uh, he was considered the Blue Jays' best power-hitting prospect. We've seen some signs of that here in limited action. So, you know, this was a game that, because Adams started the other day, that you would say probably Barrera would normally start. But I think Davey liked the idea of him facing his old team, thought he'd be a little motivated for that. And he did say that Riley was kind of extra excited when he found out he was catching. And he also said he liked the matchup against the Blue Jays' starter, Alec Manoa, throws sinkers, keeps the ball down in the zone a lot, and he knows that Adams is a low-ball hitter. So he thought it was a good matchup. Well, you put that all together, and that's like some signs of like they actually see something in Adams, and they think there's potential there, and they wanted to set up a nice favorable matchup for him. So I think this is among the reasons that we may not see Cabert Ruiz for a while, because here's an opportunity to look at both of these guys, Adams and Barrera, and help make that decision, because I think we all know that barring some catastrophe, that Ruiz is going to go into next season as their starter. But you need to figure out who of the others is going to be in the mix. And the other thing, we kind of raised this possibility before. Uh, Adams is a big guy, 6'4", 6'5", 246. 
could he play another position? And I think there is, I've heard from a couple people, people in the organization who've already thrown out the possibility that they might look at him at first base at some point. Maybe not as an everyday job, but as something that he could do. And that ultimately, that's the kind of thing that can allow you to carry a third catcher if somebody can play at multiple positions. And uh, so, I, you know, all this looking forward, these are all good, positive signs that, uh, you know, Riley Adams may have a future here. Yeah, and obviously the Nationals need guys with some position flex. And if Ryan Zimmerman is not back next season, you will need a backup first baseman. So that certainly would make some sense. Do you know who is considered the best defensive catcher of the three between Ruiz, Adams, and Barrera? Probably Barrera. Although what I've been told is that Ruiz, like he's come a long way in that regard. Here's the other thing about this. And I think this is a big part of what's going on here right now. When you have three young and not just young, but inexperienced catchers, they're calling pitches. They have a big impact on these games. And there's a lot of learning to be done. And I do wonder if some of the mistakes we've seen from a pitching standpoint over the last couple of weeks have to do with the young guys calling those pitches. If Jan Gomes behind the plate, it might be a different situation. And that is a growing pain that you don't think about a lot, I think makes a difference here. And it's something that even moving forward, we're going to have to keep in mind. If you have nothing but young catchers on your roster, it takes time for them to learn the league, learn pitchers, learn how to call a game, how to sequence everything. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that here. But probably of the three, I'd say Barrera is thought of as maybe the best defensive one. But I think there's Ruiz has potential. I think Adams is probably seen as more of a of an offensive catcher than that. But, you know, so far he's looked good behind the plate. But I don't think there's any Jan Gomes in the bunch at the moment, at least. Well, great job by Riley Adams on Tuesday night. Great job by Yadiel Hernandez on Tuesday night. The Cuban rookie in his age 33 season because only the 2021 Nats have rookies in their 30s. That's kind of what the Nats are about this year. That's why they had to make all those trades. But Yadiel has hit well this season. And he certainly hit well on Tuesday night. He was an at starting left fielder, a number five batter, two for three with a solo homer and a two-run single, one-out solo shot to right field on an 0-2 pitch. Here's the 0-2 to Yadiel, swung on and belted a deep right down the line, hooking toward the corner, and this ball is gone. Goodbye! Into the Nationals' bullpen, right down the line over the 335-foot marker. In the bottom of the second inning, and then I thought a pretty well-hit ball on what ended up being a one-out two-run single off the Blue Jays shortstop, Bo Bichette, into left field in that Nat 6 run third. I was a little surprised when I saw this after the game, Mark. Yadiel on the season has a 365 on base percentage. That snuck up on me. I didn't realize it was that good. He's batting 303 on the year. Uh, he's slugging 444. I actually thought the power number might be a little higher, but he's been what we've known him to be advertised to be, and that is a good hitter in the Nationals lineup when utilized. He's displayed a penchant for pinch hitting as well, which we know is not a skill that everyone has. And you know, he is an older guy, yes, but he's not ancient. And especially because he's under team control, I think this is one of those older guys who maybe is back with the Nationals and is a factor for the Nationals next year. But good job by Yadiel on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think he figures into the mix somehow for next year. I don't know if that's as a starting left fielder or just as a backup outfielder, pinch hitter. There may be a DH next year that he could, you know, figure in as as part of a platoon or something there. Here's the most important thing that he did in this game, and this is what will allow him potentially to stick up here for a while. The home run came on an 0-2 pitch, came on a slider. That is the first breaking ball he's hit for a home run in the big leagues. All the previous ones had come on fastballs. He was slugging 200 off breaking balls as opposed to like 560 on fastball. So we know he can hit the fastball. 
But teams figure that out, and they're feeding him a steady diet of breaking balls. So if he can start showing that ability, that changes the the whole dynamic, and it does give him a chance to succeed up here and stick up here in whatever role that might be. He's good at taking the outside pitch and hitting it to left field. That's his natural swing. He's got a lot of the traits that you want in a good quality hitter. The one missing link is the ability to hit breaking balls. Finally hit one out of the park. If he can keep that up, I think that only benefits him and helps his case for staying around. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a little early to be trying to project the Nats roster for next year, but there is a lot of uncertainty and you're going to need guys who can hit. And like you said, especially if there is a universal DH, Yadiel would certainly fit in nicely to occupy that role at least some of the time. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202 486 3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.TV. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Here's the 1-0. Swinging a high drive to left field. Back on this one, Dickerson. Slowing on the warning track near the wall. He has room, and he makes the catch. A step from the bullpen fence, but it's plenty deep enough for Hernandez to score from third. As Carter Keeboom just misses a home run, he settles for a sacrifice fly. And the Nationals score six in this inning and lead it 7-1. to one. Yet other offensive heroes for the Nats on Tuesday night as well. Carter Keeboom, another solid game at the plate. One for two with a single, a walk. And an RBI sack fly, uh, went out single in the bottom of the second, went out six-pitch walk in that Nats four-run eighth. And then I thought a good sack fly, you know, not all sack flies are created equally. A one-out RBI sack fly by Carter Keeboom to deep left field in the National six-run third. That was a well-struck baseball, just like Ryan Zimmerman's sack fly, which was nearly a grand slam. That would have been outstanding to see. Zim didn't quite get that, but uh, good job by Carter, I thought at the plate on Tuesday night. Victor Robles got on base a few times, two at first pitch RBI single in the Nats four-run eighth, a one-out hit by pitch in the Nats six-run third. Alcides Escobar had a big hit in the game, a one-out first pitch, two-run double to the left center field gap in the Nationals six-run third inning. And, you know, I mentioned Zim doing reasonably well in his pinch hit appearance, right nearly uh, hitting a grand slam. How about Lane Thomas? We got some Lane Thomas action on Tuesday night, a pinch, one-out six-pitch walk and the Nats four run eighth. Thomas, of course, the guy who the Nats got from St. Louis in the John Lester trade. I don't know when the last time this was, Mark, when you could kind of go up and down a Nationals lineup and highlight various things that basically every guy did. It's been very long since we've had a game like this where a bunch of guys got in on the action. Well, I can tell you the date because I was looking it up here. It's the last time they won a game in comfortable fashion, and that would be Monday, July 19th against the Marlins when they won 18 to one. And that was game one of that week that we said, hey, the schedule's easing up. A week against the Marlins and the Orioles, this is where it's going to turn around. And they got off to a great start. The first game, a blowout win. The next night, a 6-3 win. And then they blew it. And then they went to Baltimore and everything fell apart. And that was the end of that. But yeah, it had been a while since they had a game like that. And I liked in this game that you had two sustained rallies offensively in this game. Uh, sent nine batters to the plate each time in the third and in the eighth. And then they needed that one in the eighth because things got really hairy in the top of the eighth. And they made sure that it didn't matter the way they put that one together. I want to go back to you. You kind of threw it just sort of uh, just swept it under the rug there. Alcides Escobar. Yeah. Two run double. That's your number two hitter, Al. That's your number two hitter coming up in a big spot with runners on base. Not Keyboom, not Garcia. That's Alcides Escobar batting to the top of the lineup and delivering for them. He did. He did. Now, he had four other plate appearances in the game. He he went one for five in the game. But yes, that was a big hit for all CDs. And he has been, overall, given what he was just a few years ago, given what he was brought here to be, which was a stopgap measure, he has far exceeded expectations. You cannot say otherwise with all CDs, Escobar. But he does have a 675 OPS. And if he's going to keep hitting two-run doubles, then I guess go ahead and bat him number two. But as soon as that stops, you get him out of there, and he gets somebody younger up there. But good to see the Nats do this. Uh, like I said, we don't know how many more times this will happen the rest of the season for the Nationals. So to put up 12 runs like that against a Toronto team that I know is known more for its offense than its pitching and defense, but you know Toronto's a pretty good team. Now, Toronto, even with this loss, is 63-55 and 55 on the year. So this is actually a good win. I mean, it doesn't really mean a lot, but it's a good win to beat a Blue Jays team the way that the Nationals did. One more item on the Nats position player. So Luis Garcia on Tuesday night went 0 for 3 and had a very mixed game in the field. So he did make an excellent defensive play. I want to give him credit for this. The 2-0 pitch. 
Swing a hard shot off the glove of Fetty, deflects behind the mound. Garcia races in to pick it up, and from his knees, throws to first, not in time. This was for the first out in the Blue Jays' one-run third on a Teoscar Hernandez liner that deflected off Eric Fetty. Garcia comes charging into the infield grass, barehands the ball while sliding forward on his knees, then fires the ball to first base. Hernandez is initially ruled safe. The Nats challenge the play. The initial call is overturned into an out. Really nice play by Luis Garcia, but he also had a crucial error in this game. You mentioned that eighth inning. Things did get dicey. Nationals giving up a three spot in the top of the inning, and Garcia in that Blue Jays three-run eighth inning committing a run-scoring fielding error. Espinal leading from first, held by Bell in the pitch. Swing to ground ball, right side again toward the hole. Garcia missed it off his glove, out of the right. Run scores. Espinal, round second, will go to third. And botching a one-out Reese McGuire grounder that was set up beautifully for a 4-6-3 double play for the final two outs there. And instead, the inning went on. So I guess you're going to get this, especially, you know, with a middle infielder like this, he's going to get a lot of opportunities. They've also kind of toggled Garcia between second and short a little bit. But the highs and the lows for Garcia on display defensively on Tuesday night. And this is the book on him, is that there's a lot of flash there. He's going to make some plays that open your eyes, but he's also going to struggle with consistency. And we absolutely saw that in this game, and we've seen it in the bigger picture as well. He needs to get the consistency down, make the routine plays. The play before the air was a potential 4-6-3 that wasn't played poorly, but it just wasn't quite as crisp a turn as you want. So, I mean, Kyle Finnegan has to come in with the bases loaded, nobody out, after Mason Thompson had a mess of a three batter appearance and Finian comes in and he gets back-to-back ground balls that should have combined for three outs. And he only gets one out out of it all because of uh, the inability to turn the double play on the first one. And then Garcia booting the second one altogether. If this was a meaningful game and they're in a race that all of a sudden takes on a whole different feeling right now of what that inning could have been like and what that could have meant for this team. So these are the little things that he needs to clean up that he needs to be more consistent with They're working with him on it. The kid's got all kinds of potential, and you can see there is star power there and a lot of flash. But there's got to be more substance. There's got to be more day in and day out every play making them. Yeah, especially for a guy like Luis, who may well be more about the glove than the bat. I mean, I don't want to write him off as a hitter or anything like that, but he's not hit well so far. And I don't know that he's going to be a great hitter. You know, the the results have been kind of mixed. Like if you look at his minor league numbers from a batting perspective, they're not great. They are kind of all over the place, too. So he may not be someone who brings supreme value with the bat. It's got to be okay. He plays a key defensive position and he does well at that defensive position. So he's got to get that down. Do you know, do the Nationals prefer him? Like if Mike Rizzo could script this out, would Luis Garcia be the long term second baseman? or shortstop? Because to me, that should dictate what he plays the bulk of these games at moving forward here the rest of the season. So like if they see him as a second baseman, fine. But if they see him, hey, we'd rather him actually be our everyday shortstop, he should be getting looks there. Do do you know which position they actually do prefer for him? I think they wish he was consistent enough to be a shortstop, but they have concerns about that, what I was just talking about. And Not just at the big league level, but at the minor league level as well. He didn't have a great year in the field at shortstop at AAA. So I think there's as much as they wish and hope he could make it as a shortstop. I think there's a growing realization that he's probably going to be a second baseman. And I think that is why you're seeing him there right now. There may be the occasional start when Escobar's off and maybe there's a particular matchup or something that they want to put him on the other side. But I think long term, they are realizing that if he's going to make it, it's going to be as a second baseman. 
Nat's Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Here's a swing at a high fly to deep center. Robles going back, way back, warning track wall, and this one is long, gone, goodbye. It takes a high hop over the low wall, lands on the batter's eye hill, and then rolls down and bounces off of it. A long two-run home run for Teoscar Hernandez following the walk to Guerrero. It's now the Nationals 8 and the Blue Jays 3. Well, the Nationals starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Eric Fetty, and it's so amazing how circumstances can change because for the longest time with Eric Fetty, it was, well, he's doing well, but we don't know if there's a spot for him in the Nationals' rotation. And now the script has completely flipped. There is a spot and then some for Fetty in the Nationals' rotation, and he's not doing well. There's an interesting psychology with something like that, right? Like when you're not necessarily wanted slash needed, you present yourself in the best possible way And now that you're absolutely needed, he's just not getting the job done. And we saw this happen again on Tuesday night. Now, you know, he wasn't awful, but this was another one of these like typical Eric Fetty outings to me where it's just not good enough. Three runs in five innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He issued three walks. He threw just 54 strikes versus 40 balls on 94 pitches. He had four strikeouts. Now, he tossed scoreless first and second innings, but even in each of those innings, he allowed two base runners. Top of the third, he gives up a run, leadoff single by Bo Bichette, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. Then Bichette steals second base. Then Fetty issues a six-pitch walk of Vladimir Guerrero. Then comes a one-out RBI ground out by Corey Dickerson. Fetty gives up two runs in the top of the fifth, two-out five-pitch walk of Vlad Guerrero, followed by a two-out first-pitch, two-run homer, by Teoscar Hernandez, who has tormented the Nationals in the past. And this was some shot. This was a homer to dead center, the homer going a projected 409 feet for StatCast. So did Fetty get shellacked in this game? No, but he wasn't pitch efficient. You know, ultimately the run prevention wasn't there. And here's the bottom line now for Eric Fetty, who remember earlier this season looked like he was blossoming. First 10 starts, Eric Fetty had an ERA of 333. He now has made nine starts since coming off the 10-day injured list which he was on with that left oblique strain. Fetty, over those nine starts, 31 earned runs in 41 innings. His ERA for the season is well above five. And at a time in which the Nationals sure could use him to be that guy 
who had the 333 ERA over his first 10 starts of the season. You're seeing the opposite. For whatever reason, Fetty has regressed to his pre-2021 self over the course of these last few months here. Yeah, and this is a game where, you know, they give him a huge lead. And he did come out in the fourth right after they scored all those runs and put together a real quick one, two, three inning on 11 pitches. And you thought, okay, he's sort of seizing the opportunity here. And then in the fifth, he ends up with a two-out walk and then the home run. And all of a sudden, he's through the fifth and he's already at 94 pitches. And on a night when your team scored that much for you and you've got a comfortable lead, you got to be able to get through six. And he just couldn't do it. And that's what's kind of separating him from from reaching that next level. If you're just hoping for five and that the pitch count doesn't get too high, that's not going to cut it in the long run. I mean, that, that'll that make you a number five starter at best in the big leagues. If he's going to be more than that, he's got to be able to get through six, ideally even more than that. And yeah, he minimized the damage, so good for him for that. But there were so many instances there where he just had chances to put away hitters, get through an inning faster, keep the pitch count down. He wasn't able to do it. And Davey was talking afterwards about how... Fetty needs to remember sometimes that his stuff is good. He's throwing 95, 96. His cutter that was so effective for him early in the year is a really good out pitch. You know, I sat down with him and I, and I explained to him how good his stuff really is. You know, sometimes I don't think he realizes how good his stuff is. It's almost like he's just not trusting that enough. And he ends up nibbling around. He's falling behind in the count. He's not putting hitters away when he gets two strikes. All that stuff that we thought he was turning the corner on early in the year has kind of fallen back into his old self again. And... I mean, there's no pressure on him right now. The job is his, at least for the rest of the year. He's not going anywhere. They're, they've got nobody to replace him. Throw what you got out there. Pitch with some confidence. See if you can give him six or seven innings and keep the pitch count down. There's no excuse at this point for him not to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for, you know, giving guys time to develop. And, you know, with Fetty, he has pitched at the major league level in a bunch of seasons. But if you look at his overall career innings total, it's actually not that high. But it's like, okay, dude, at some point, like, we do need you to step forward. And especially now when the Nats need him. Fetty was almost like a luxury in recent years. Now it's like, uh, no, now's your time. Like, it's right there. It's right there for you. He could be, like, if he did really well the rest of this season, he could potentially be the Nats' number two starter next year, like if things really went well. And it's just not tracking that way. And it's just, it's disappointing to see that. And, you know, with each passing outing, it's like, you're just kind of like, well, maybe this is just who he is. The other thing, too, is with the strikeouts, he was striking guys out earlier this year. I don't know what happened to him in that regard. Joe Ross was doing that, too. They were striking guys out at a higher clip, and you're like, this is awesome. They're developing into true strikeout pitchers, and that's gone bye-bye with Fetty here in recent weeks. Yeah. And like I was saying, the cutter, that was the pitch that was so effective for him earlier in the year. And it seems like that hasn't been there for him. And, you know, it starts with falling behind in the count early. Uh, and now you got to battle your way back. And then when you do get to two strikes, not being able to finish them off and trust the stuff, you know, believe that that stuff is good enough to make hitters swing and miss if you put it near the strike zone. And he's not doing that right now. And, you know, I, I also wonder, I mentioned earlier about the young catchers. Could that be part of this? They're still learning him. Riley Adams, I don't think, had caught him before. This was the first time. So he's probably still learning how he likes to do things and, you know, what pitch to call in what situation. So there may be some of that going on here as well. But yeah, I agree. This is, it's all right there for him. And he's not going anywhere. There's no pressure on him right now. Go out and do the job and don't give them reason to think they have to replace you next year. You know, there's so many spots that they need to fill this winter. If there's a spot that somebody on the roster can't actually seize, 
like take this opportunity now and run with it and, and say to them, no, I am a part of this rotation next year. You don't need to worry about me. Yeah. And you know, with the catcher thing, one of your former colleagues at Mass and Dave Johnson used to say this, and I always thought it was a good point. Like, yes, the catcher calls the game, but ultimately, if you're the pitcher, it's your game. So if you don't like what's being called, you shake them off and you wait until you get your pitch. And if you don't like how a catcher is calling the game, you tell him. Like, ultimately, you're at the controls, not the catcher. And, you know, I know Fetty's not an ancient veteran, but he's been around long enough to where if he doesn't like something Adams is doing or Fetty has a certain way of doing things, like, go ahead and do it, man. Like, this is your career. This is your opportunity. First round pick in 2014, seize the moment. It's right there for you on a silver platter. And uh, he's just not doing it right now. So hopefully he does. He's going to get ample opportunity the rest of the way. Okay, He ain't going nowhere at this point. He's a staple in that Nationals rotation. That's bullpen on Tuesday night. Was good with the exception of one guy. Davey Martinez ends up utilizing four relievers, Andres Machado, Mason Thompson, Kyle Finnegan, and Gabe Klobositz. And really three of the four were good. Machado, rather sneakily now, has an ERA at 265. Not something necessarily everyone is aware of, but two scoreless innings for Andres Machado to get things going from a bullpen perspective on Tuesday night. Then came the problems. Mason Thompson was a mess in what ended up being a three-run Blue Jays eighth. He gets charged with three runs, two earned, does not record an out. He faced three batters, and he couldn't get any of them out. Lead-off single by Teoscar Hernandez, five-pitch walk of Corey Dickerson, four-pitch walk of Randall Gretchik. Mason Thompson, in his outing, threw 13 pitches, 10 of which were balls. You do not see that often. Kyle Finnegan had to clean up the mess, comes into the game, bases loaded, nobody out, Nats leading 8-3. Three runs do score with Kyle pitching, but like we said, Kyle pitched better than that might suggest to you. Really, the only thing he gave up, truthfully, was the one-out RBI single to Alejandro Kirk. Otherwise, I thought Finnegan did a pretty good job. And then Klobo, I got a kick out of this. So our guy Gabe Klobositz, right, 6'7", 270, tosses a scoreless top of the ninth. And I don't know if he's been doing this, and I just hadn't noticed it or what, but this got uh, remarked upon on the YouTube telecast. He had his jersey bizarrely buttoned down to, <laughs> to where you could see his chest hair and Klobo's got facial hair, too. So, like, he's this 6'7 behemoth. He's got the jersey button down. He's got the facial hair going. He looked like an extra on Boogie Nights, which to me just <laughs> raises his profile even higher. He has to be the Nationals' closer of the future. Just the name, the look, everything about him screams closer. Uh, he closed out this game. I know he's not the closer right now, but that was, uh, I thought, pretty interesting. I think he traded the uh, the stirrups for the extra button undone yeah. <laughs> on the top. And, and, and like the undershirt that he's wearing, it's like kind of torn, right? Like underneath the red undershirt, it's sort of designed to give the look that he's going for here. Right, put it that right. way. He's definitely got something going on there. Yeah. If this is a meaningful game, there was a lot of strategy going on in the late innings and some things that could have gone haywire and would have been fascinating to see how it all played out. So because Thompson was a wreck, and put three straight hitters on, like you said, 10 of 13 pitches for balls. Davey calls in Finnegan with no outs in the eighth. Now, Finnegan is, in theory, they're kind of their de facto closer right now. And the game is is getting close. It's a five-run lead at that point, but now the bases are loaded. And like we said, three-run score on his watch, even though it wasn't really his fault. So he gets through that inning on 15 pitches. And now it's a two-run game. And I'm thinking... Who's pitching the ninth? Is he going to bring him back? Is he going to bring somebody else in to pitch the ninth? And there was nobody warming in the bullpen there for a long time. And what wound up happening is the bottom of the inning went so long and they batted around and it was getting to a point where 
the pitcher spot was coming up pretty soon. And now they have Klobuchar sits warming for that scenario. But if not for Riley Adams' double, the two-run double that extended the lead there, the pitcher spot's coming up, and I think he would have pinch hit Gerardo Parra no matter what. He was in the on-deck circle. And in theory, if they don't score that inning, Klobuchar is coming in in a save situation now in the ninth. And that would have been fascinating, again, in a game that was a little more meaningful and not just that we're going to look at him, how they would have handled that. Would he have let Finnegan hit for himself at some point? Could Charlie Montoyo have thought about intentionally walking Adams to force the issue and make him either pinch hit for Finnegan or make him bat? The game is not as significant in the end because of the situation of the team. But just from one pure baseball game from a strategy standpoint, that was kind of interesting. And I was very curious to see how that was all going to play out. It seems apparent right now that if you're ranking Davies relievers, Finnegan, Klobositz, and I guess Thompson, are those the top three guys right now? Yeah, I think so. And he likes Machado, and he likes him in that role that we saw him in two innings. I think he thinks that he's one of the guys who's capable of doing that. But I would say probably Finnegan, Thompson, Klobositz, one order or the other is his thinking. You know, we never saw Ryan Harper in this one. There was some thought maybe he would be the guy given his zero point whatever ERA, and that was not in the works for this one. So, you know, all these guys, there may be some promise there, but he's asking a lot of them by, you know, no choice that he has. And you just hope that they can handle the pressure. You know, that Thompson, who's looked pretty good overall, but this is a bad outing for him, and you just hope that doesn't have any kind of negative residual effect on him the next time he takes them out. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously with position players, right, you want to play the young guys. I do think it's a little different with the bullpen because your bullpens change every year. So like if you do lean on an older guy the rest of this year and Ryan Harper is a little older, I don't think that's such a terrible thing because he very well could be back with you next year. And how about this? Among all Nationals pitchers right now, the number one player on the Nationals in terms of wins above replacement per baseball reference is Ryan Harper. He leads all Nats pitchers in war for baseball reference on the season in terms of guys on the team. And yet he like never gets utilized by Davey Martinez. It is pretty strange. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code chat and games on Wednesday night include the Angels at Detroit. Shohei Otani is pitching for Los Angeles. He has an ERA of 293 on the season. He's averaging 11 strikeouts per nine innings on the season. The Angels are the play. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 
109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Joe went and saw Dr. Meister. And um, as of right now, he's not going to need surgery. He said it's basically a, a sprain. Well, we got what I think you have to say is encouraging news on Joe Ross on Tuesday. Now, I say it kind of reluctantly because I think the doomsday scenario could still end up happening here. But for now, Joe Ross does not need a second Tommy John surgery. And that is a good thing. Davey Martinez revealing that in his pregame press conference on Tuesday. Now, the thing, of course, is, and if you've been a baseball fan for any length of time, you know this, the scenario has played out many times in the following way. Player X is said to maybe need a Tommy John surgery or another Tommy John surgery. Second eval happens. No, he doesn't have to have the surgery. Rest in rehab. Okay. And then, you know, four months later, six months later, nine months later, yeah, he needs the Tommy John surgery. So we're not out of the woods yet by a long shot. But Joe Ross, who is still being shut down for the rest of the season, isn't going to be undergoing a second Tommy John for now and hopefully never. And that is a good thing. Yeah. And that's how they want him to view it and how they're going to view this as this is positive news. If he had gone down to Dallas, seen the doctor and said, yep, sorry, you got to go under the knife here again. This is a devastating blow for any pitcher to find out you need this a second time, given everything that he's been through. And you just don't know for sure how it's going to work out. You hope that it works out for the best, but you never know for sure. So to be able to understand that, hey, you can try to, to rehab this. You can try to come back next spring and pitch through this, that's a good thing. But I would caution everybody against assuming that he is somehow out of the woods now because he is not at all. And we didn't get details on what the rehab you know, process is going to be here. It's going to involve a lot of rest to start. And I think that's why they're saying, hey, just you're not going to pitch the rest of this year. Let's not even try to do that. And then he gets to the off season and they start going through it, it you know, typical stuff. And so the idea would be that you get to spring training and he starts building his arm up again. And then you see how it responds. So the reason to do this with this path and this time is, in my mind, it's this. If you have the Tommy John surgery right now, and best case scenario, you come back in 12 months. So like we said the other day, you can maybe come back and pitch next September. There's maybe some value in that, but it's not the end of the world if it's just one month that you miss. By waiting, giving him the time to rest and recover, giving another shot in spring training, They'll probably know early in spring training if it's a go or a no-go. He'll know how he's feeling as he tries to start throwing off a mound again. And if they determine, you know what, it's not going to happen, this isn't worth it, let's do it, and he has the surgery, then he misses the 2022 season, and 12 months later is the following spring of 2023. So the only reason to have it now would be to maybe get to September of 2022 on a team that's not expecting to contend anyways. So might as well try this. Maybe you catch a break. Maybe you are able to get through it without ever needing it. But if you do ultimately need it, it's going to cost you the 2022 season. And in theory, you come back in 2023. I think that's the logic behind all of this. Hey, everybody hopes he doesn't need it. He can spend the winter, rest up, build up the muscles around it and whatever else is done for that. Show up at spring training and everything's fine. But that's a long way to go still for that to happen. And if you're the Nationals and you're building your rotation this winter for next season, just like with Steven Strasburg, if Joe Ross is a part of it, that's great. But you cannot go into the winter just assuming he's going to be a part of it. So next season is Joe Ross's final season of team control. Do you think it's possible the Nats non-tender him? Or do you think they definitely tender him this offseason? 
that does become a little bit of a different dynamic. We talked about it the other day. If you know that he's out for the year, there's a good chance you do non-tender him and bring him back on a minor league deal or something like that. Now, you know, he's coming back to potentially pitch. Well, through arbitration, he's going to get a raise and it's going to cost a few million dollars. Are you willing to do that on someone who is such a big uncertainty? So I, I think that's a fascinating question they're going to have to confront. My guess is that because of the state of their organization, the state of the pitching staff and lack of rotation depth right now, that they would like him to at least come to spring training and have a shot at it. The issue would be, would they find a way to non-tender him and work out a deal to bring him back at a lesser salary? Would he go for that? And would they maybe take that route? That's something they'll have to decide shortly after the season is over. But I think one way or the other, they've gone through all this right now. My guess is that they will at least want him to be in the organization and give it a shot next year. They may just want it at a lesser salary than he would get if he goes through arbitration. Well, when it comes to the Nationals rotation next season, there may be no better pitcher than Josiah Gray. We'll see how things pan out. But Wednesday is set up to be another Josiah Gray day. And to me right now, nothing is more exciting. Nothing is worth looking forward to more than Josiah Gray starting for the Nationals. In terms of like, what is there to look forward to here with the Nationals? Josiah Gray days are the days to look forward to. Now, I know it's supposed to rain a lot on uh, Wednesday, so we'll see if this game actually ends up being played. But game two against the Blue Jays is going to be going down. 405 first pitch. Again, that's what it's scheduled to be. And Josiah will be pitching. And uh, I didn't get to talk to you about Josiah's last start, but man, was that nice to see. I I mean, this guy, you know, look, nobody wants to go crazy with this just yet. And it's not like he's necessarily dominating every game. I mean, he gave up the three homers in the last outing, but they were three solo homers. And the strikeouts to me are just awesome to see. He has totaled 24 major league innings. He's got 31 strikeouts over those 24 major league innings. That's 11.6 strikeouts per nine innings. That's outstanding. Now, he does have a bit of a homer issue. He's actually given up as many homers as he has given up walks uh, in his uh, brief time at the major league level, nine. So, you know, he's got to work on that. He's not perfect. But uh, this will be exciting to see. Josiah Gray on the mound for the Nationals on Wednesday. He has yet to surpass six innings in any of his uh, outings in terms of, like, officially what he ends up doing. If the game is played on Wednesday, do you think we're starting to get to the point where Davey tries to push things a little bit with Josiah, or do you think it's still going to be played in a more or less conservative manner by Davey? They are still going to watch his workload very carefully because we have to remember he was injured earlier this year, and he's only been a full-time pitcher for a few years and you know was in the minors and so you know didn't get to play in 2020. So they are very conscious of that, and I think they are going to be careful. Now, if he's efficient as he was the last time and keeps the pitch count down, there may be a chance to get to the sixth or potentially the seventh if the pitch count is low enough. But he's got to show that he can keep doing that. I don't think they're going to bring him up, you know, maybe 100 pitches tops and probably more like capping it off at 90 for now. So I I think that probably they're still looking at five, six innings at best and hope he keeps the pitch count down. But what's been so impressive is he's throwing strikes. He's got the strikeouts, but it's not really long at bats that he's, you know, getting a 3-2 pitch on the corner for the strikeout. He's getting ahead and he's putting them away. And that's a great sign. He did it with his fastball last time after doing it with the curveball the time before that. He did it against a Braves lineup that he had faced twice now in a row and looked pretty good aside, again, from the home runs. Now he's facing a lineup that hasn't seen him before in the Blue Jays. So there's a lot of reasons to be intrigued by this one. It's a good lineup he's facing, but the poise that he's shown, the strike-throwing ability, the swing and miss ability, right now I agree there's nobody on the team that I look forward to watching more right now than Josiah Gray. 
Yeah, and you just said it. The Blue Jays are a great test. The Blue Jays are a very good hitting team. If he does well against them, or if having done well against the Braves multiple times, like, you know, you're not feasting on the Pirates and the Orioles and the Rockies here. Like, you're doing well against some really good lineups, and uh, that would be lovely to see. So hopefully the game is played, and hopefully Josiah Gray kills it once again for the Nationals. Now, speaking of Josiah Gray and the future of the Nats, Baseball America on Monday came out with its rankings of all of the farm systems in baseball and then also put out a brand new list of the top 100 prospects in baseball. This is really interesting with the Nats off the sell-off. So the Nationals per Baseball America only have the 23rd best farm system in baseball, although that is an improvement for where things had been. But the Nats, even with only having the 23rd best farm system in baseball, also have four of the top 100 prospects in baseball. You don't often see that. Having four of the top 100 is really good, but that doesn't, that's not necessarily like congruent with being only the 23rd best farm system. And what that clearly tells you is that the Nationals have a top heavy farm system, especially off the trade with the Dodgers to get Josiah Gray and Cabert Ruiz. But reflected also with Baseball America's latest rankings is Cade Cavalli is ranked appreciably higher than Josiah Gray. Jim Callis suggested this will be the case for MLB Pipeline in its next installment of the Top 100 Prospects. And Baseball America has this in effect in these latest rankings. So again, four Nationals prospects are in the Top 100. Catcher Cabert Ruiz, number 13 prospect in baseball. Cade Cavalli, number 23 prospect in baseball. Josiah Gray, number 54 prospect in baseball. And Brady House, the Nationals' first-round pick in this year's draft, the number 86 prospect in baseball. Jackson Rutledge is not in the top 100. He's had kind of a rough year with injury and uh, some ineffectiveness there. But Ruiz, Cavalli, Gray, and House uh, all in the top 100. And uh, Cade Cavalli did pitch on Tuesday night. Uh, it wasn't a great outing. Uh, he gives up three runs in four and two-thirds innings, eight strikeouts. That was good. Uh, but he also issues six walks. So the drum beat continues, Mark. Gray, Cavalli, Rutledge will keep singing it, we'll keep pounding that drum, and we'll keep hoping for the best for all three of those guys. Well, the good news is, like you said, there's now some elite prospects again in the system. That's something they've been lacking for a few years. But we've also talked about for the last decade or so, the issue for them hasn't been a lack of elite prospects. They've had that. It's the lack of depth that they haven't had. And so to me, you know, I think we have a good sense that they made good on some of these trades and are going to have a, a, at least a couple of potentially future stars, plus a few that are already in the system as recent first-round picks in Cavalli and House. So that's good. But what's really going to determine whether this sell-off was a, a big win or just like a necessary move for them is if they start developing big leaguers from the rest of that group. The second-tier, the third-tier prospects, they don't have to be star players, but does Riley Adams become a big league number two catcher? Does Mason Thompson become a big league setup man? All those kinds of things. That to me is what's going to ultimately determine whether this was a huge win for them, the way they they sold off these parts and got, you know, five or six big leaguers out of it. Or is it just they, hey, they got Cabert Ruiz and Josiah Gray and they're great, but everyone else never really panned out. That's going to be the distinction we'll know in a few years. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, the sell-off did a lot, but it can't just be about the sell-off. The Nats have got to get back to drafting well, developing guys in a better way, finding diamonds in the rough. I mean, all the things that went well for the Nats, you know, the previous decade, it's not been a good last, you know, five, eight years here when it comes to Nationals drafts. 
we focus a lot on the first round picks, but like think beyond those first round picks. Like where are the diamonds in the rough? Baseball is filled with non-first round picks who end up working out and the Nats haven't really had a lot of those here in recent years. So that's what's got to get fixed. The sell-off is awesome and uh, hopefully it does work out really well. But even if every one of those guys hit, it's like it's still... They got to draft better. That's where this starts. Rizzo and his staff have got to do better in that regard, and uh, hopefully they will. Will you tell us what you think? Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email us as well, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Keep the voice memos coming in terms of your 2019 postseason memories. We'll continue to play those as the national season rolls along. We also want to send out a special salute right now. This day of Tuesday... This will be uh, airing this podcast, of course, on Wednesday. But uh, on this Tuesday is the final day for our intern, James Gordon, who has been doing a great job. He has been at the controls of the Nats underscore chat Twitter handle on a number of game nights here. Uh, The Twitter account has not been suspended. So we take that as a win that uh, James has done a good job in that regard. But he's a big Chicago White Sox fan. He can finally be happy with his baseball fandom. And uh, we thank James for uh, being a real treat to work with and doing an awesome job here these last few months. Great job, James. He got to come to the game on Tuesday, be on the field, get that experience for the first time. Had a good time getting to know him a little bit. And um, big things coming in the future for Mr. James. So thank you for all your help with us all summer. Should we ask James to put in a good word for us with Tony LaRussa, or would you rather James not do that? I think James needs a, a little softer landing than that. Like you, you don't want to go right into Tony LaRussa at age 78 or whatever he is now. Let's let's take a step, you know, a couple uh easier first uh interviews I think them, you know, start out with Tony LaRussa who I'm not sure would be a big fan of this podcast. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he would be. Well, James, we salute you, man. Job well done. All the best to you. Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available. You can get yours by going to Nats Chat Podcast dot square dot site all nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 1067 the fan for mark zuckerman i'm al galdi we'll talk to you next time on the Nats chat podcast alan mark hi my name is andy i'm a loyal listener from cincinnati ohio really enjoy your show thanks for for everything you've done this year especially this trying year all right so my favorite memory of 2019 was that believe it or not while the famous Juan Soto bat was happening against the Milwaukee Brewers for the play-in game playoff game uh, I was on a flight and the best that I could do to follow the game was to do it on the MLB app where they have the option to follow the balls and strikes and runs on but not being able to see it or hear the game. Exactly when Juan Soto was batting and the game was on the line, my flight started to descend for uh, landing and the Wi-Fi in the airplane went out. Uh, the last thing that happened was a little blue light went on that Juan Soto got a hit and runs, but I couldn't tell anything else. I had to wait 15 minutes. The flight finally landed. It was on the runway. And the Wi-Fi kicked back in, and I saw the Nationals won, and I screamed so loud and so embarrassingly in the airplane that the people next to me thought that I just won the lottery. Uh, and it's just kind of a crazy thing. I got out of the, uh, the airplane, was able to watch the replay on a TV in a bar at the airport, and call some of my friends in D.C. to celebrate. Uh, it was really important to me uh, to finally see him win a playoff series, even if it was just one game. I was at the uh, Worthquake game. I was at the game, the infamous game five against the Cardinals. And then, of course, I was at the 18-inning game against the Giants a few years later. 
just to see them win the playoffs and, of course, go to the World Series was an awesome time. But anyway, I'll just never forget where I was on that airplane uh, and how the timing worked that I missed uh, the final at that of Juan Soto uh, because the plane was landing. Talk to you soon, and good luck with the podcast. And I can't thank you enough for running this show. It's been terrific. 20-year-old Juan Soto in a spot to be a game-changer here. He'll turn 21 on the 25th of October, completing his second year in the big leagues. Bases loaded, one ball, one strike. Hater the set, the kick, here it comes. Swing and a line drive, base hit right field. Taylor scores from third. Stevenson around third. The ball missed in right field. Rounding third, coming home is Rendon. He will score, but now caught in a run down is Soto. He will be tagged out by Moustakis, but that's the third out. Three runs, score on the play. A base hit to drive in two runs. Grisham overran the ball, and the error allows the Nationals to go for the win.